0: Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power. Globally, indigenous peoples are at the forefront of environmental and land defense. It is estimated that in 2021 alone, about 40% of murdered environmental defenders were from indigenous communities, making up a disproportionately high percentage of environmental injustices. In this context, cultural survival interviewed Michelle Forrest the first person to hold the mandate of the UN Special Rapporteur on Environmental Defenders, the first international mechanism in the world dedicated to protecting environmental defenders. Rapporteur Forrest began his tenure in June 2022. He has spoken about his role and jurisdiction, mainly on how indigenous peoples can use and benefit from his mandate.
1: My name is Michel Faust. Uh, I am uh, a French citizen and uh, I've been appointed in 2022 uh, as the first UN Special Rapporteur on Environmental Defenders under the Aarhus Convention. Maybe I should start briefly by uh, by explaining what is this Aarhus Convention and to which and to whom it would apply. So that's um, 25 years ago states decided that uh, they would uh, decide to create what they call sort of environmental democracy. So they decided to work together to establish this, this democracy by establishing a new convention, which was adopted in Aarhus in, in Denmark. And uh, it was based on three pillars. The first is access to information, meaning that uh, when a state or a company uh, would like to develop a new activity, which have an impact on the environment of people, then they would have the duty, the obligation to inform all communities, uh, families, people who would be uh, affected by this project uh, in all languages, uh, meaning that the information is not only accessible, but should be provided by the state. So that's uh, a duty of the state. And the second pillar, uh, which is very much related with the first, uh, is uh, uh, public participation. Again, meaning that uh, when uh, indigenous people, communities, uh, families would be affected by a project uh, in their environment, uh, then the uh, state or the company would have a duty an obligation to consult uh, them and community would have the, the right to say no. Of course, uh, the no uh, is not binding, but at least they would express themselves and say why they do not want the project or why and, and under which condition the project would be agreed by the communities. And the third pillar, uh, which was very new at that time, uh, is access to justice, meaning that when rights have been affected or violated, then people, communities, individuals would have to go to the justice system, either administrative justice or judicial justice and seek redress and reparation. And uh, it works uh, uh, pretty well. This convention has created also what we call a compliance committee, uh, which is there to receive complaints when states or companies uh, would not uh, comply with the main provision of the convention. And uh, in addition to that, because they saw that uh, those who are the most at risk are environmental defenders and climate activists, states have decided recently, two years ago, uh, to create a new mandate uh, under the form of a special rapporteur on environmental defenders. Uh, With a view to respond immediately. Uh, The name is Rapid Response Mechanism under the form of a special rapporteur. And the idea is that uh, when I would receive a complaint coming from a community, indigenous groups, uh, uh, families, or individuals, uh, then I would take action immediately using the same working methods uh, as other rapporteurs. Uh, So far, uh, that's a universal uh, convention ratified by uh, 47 states, including uh, the EU. But when it comes to companies, uh, then that's different. Uh, uh, Of course, the mandate is is working in all states that are party to the convention. But let's say when when a company uh, based in one of the countries party to the Arts convention is operating abroad, like for for instance, uh, a Spanish company uh, would operate in Latin America or elsewhere and doing harm to defenders, then defenders from those countries could also seek protection for my mandate. Another example, uh, if a UK based a company based in UK would do harm to defend us in, in, in Asia, uh, then defenders from those countries uh, would go to my mandate to seek protection and reparations. That's precisely why uh, state have decided to create this extra territorial scope of the mandate that uh, i explained that uh, of course uh, the mandate is very much related to the all parties to the Earth convention in the, the uh... Uh, countries in, in the big Europe uh, up to, to Mongolia. But of course, as you know, uh, those who are the most dangerous for uh, communities, uh, for indigenous people, uh, are mostly companies. And that's why when companies are based in one of the countries, which is party to the Convention and would operate abroad, then defenders from those countries could also seek protection from their mandate. So it's a universal mandate, provided that we find a connection between those who are affected and the perpetrators could be the state or companies. And if you see that there would be a company based in one of the countries based uh, of the Rome Convention, then of course defenders could seek protection from that data. It's very new. I've started to work with my with my team uh, recently, only in October last year, and we we start receiving complaints coming from other countries, uh, from Africa, uh, from Latin America uh from in from from asia as well so it's a new mandate and we need to raise awareness on this new mandate and we all recognize that those who are the most at risk are environmental defenders. in fact huh? number of killings uh, uh, target in fact environmental defenders huh? and uh, most attacks are targeted to communities or, or local defenders that simply try to protect their environment and the land and i was struck when traveling to Peru, to Colombia, to uh, Africa, to Asia as well, to see that, uh, I mean, most communities uh, face the same challenge. In fact, uh, they see all of a sudden companies investing their piece of land uh, and trying to dig holes uh, and uh, and and target, in fact, families or defenders. And uh, if they want to, uh, to protest, then they are facing uh, threats and attacks, not only by the companies themselves, uh, but also by security forces, uh, because they are the link and the connection between those companies. Uh, and powerful actors like, uh, of course, uh, governments, also sometimes uh, mafias. As I said, that's a new mandate uh, and uh, with new working methods. And uh, the main difference with other reporters is that this mandate is based on a legally binding instrument, the Old Convention, while other reporters have been created simply by a resolution from the Council in Geneva, uh, which is not at all binding. While for me, this is binding meaning that if states don't comply with the provision of the Convention, then it would be penalized. And again, uh, if they would not comply with my recommendation uh, regarding uh, threats to defenders, then they would also be penalized, including companies. That's a very new mandate with new working methods, with new tools. What I'm doing is that uh, I'm trying to reach out to those who are affected and my staff who is investigate uh, with the support of UN Uh, bodies and NGOs uh, the reality of the threats, uh, uh, the veracity of the uh, testimonies, uh, and then if we understand that uh, the threats are real, then immediately, that's why it's called a rapid response mechanism, immediately I would send uh, questions to the states uh, asking why and how and if they have investigated already on the threats. And uh, I could also continue by uh, doing Country visits, and I'm not obliged to wait for receiving an, an invitation from the state. I could decide myself, I invite myself to a country to investigate when I see that there is a pattern of attacks against defenders, and then start while in the capital to discuss with the with the, with the government. Of course, when life is at risk, then we cannot wait 60 days. Then I would issue immediate measures like relocation measures, for instance. When defenders need to be relocated elsewhere, then we could also use the uh, usual tool to relocate defenders outside of the country uh, to make sure that they would be uh, at least safe for a couple of weeks, the time for me to investigate further on the risk that they think. My concern is that uh, indigenous people sometimes, or very often, do not decide to become defenders. Uh, they are defenders out of a necessity because they are attacked, in fact. They are under pressure. So they decide to become defenders simply because they defend a piece of land which belongs to them. And that's uh, uh, their cosmovision, in fact. I remember I was uh, traveling to Mongolia and then to Latin America, Many told me that uh, the earth is not earth. That's more than that. The water is not only water, it's more. The forest is not forest, it's more than forest. That's a sort of cosmic that is right to defend. And I'm there also to support those who are the most at risk. And for me clearly, uh, indigenous people uh, are the most at risk currently. That's why together with other reporters, we're trying to do our best to inform states but also to take measures to protect uh, uh, defenders. Protection is good, but it's not enough. We should also be able to prevent the risk to occur. And that's why raising awareness on the possibilities offered by this new mandate is also a way for me to prevent states and companies to attack defenders. First of all, I can't do nothing without receiving a complaint. To complain to my mandate, uh, it's very simple. You go to the website and, uh, and you click on the link and then there was a very very simple form by which you can put your complaint, explain your situation. You don't need to provide tons of reports and uh, uh, simply tell your story. In fact, and my staff will contact you uh, just to ask questions to make sure that uh, the risks that we're facing are real, and then we'll start the process by uh, uh, using all the possibilities offered by the mandate uh, to target the state or the company. I'm using all tools at my disposal, including what we call quiet diplomacy. That is, uh, it's not public, uh, and sometimes more efficient uh, to talk directly uh, to the top of the company to explain that uh, if they don't take action, if they don't uh, redress, uh, then I'm going to go public. uh, And sometimes to see uh, the mere fact that you uh, you are threatening them to go public, uh, that's a deterrent for them. Having their names in a UN report, uh, that has huge implications. uh, So, simply naming the name, that's sometimes sufficient to uh, raise awareness and then companies would come to me uh, asking questions. Why are you targeting us? What can we do to regret the situation? As you know, uh, big companies are big machineries uh, and uh, you cannot stop a project uh, all all of a sudden. It takes time. So states should uh, first understand, then they need to talk with their lawyers, to discuss uh, what sort of measures they would take, and it's start a process. But simply by deciding to start a process, uh, we can expect that after a couple of uh, months, that sometimes years, because it's long process, uh, things will change uh, uh, in the country. Of course, for for for, for defenders, that's not is not rapid enough. Uh, they would expect to have uh, immediate measures uh, or a product being stopped. But uh, we we need to understand that uh, uh, when it comes to companies, uh, it's very uh, Uh, A long process, in fact. As I explained, the the, the convention has been ratified only by 47 states, uh, meaning that uh, it applies also for companies from those states. But we know that other countries are also sometimes dangerous, like uh, Chinese companies or some African companies or companies in other countries. So the more countries would ratify the convention, the more effective the tool will be. And of course, the limitation also uh, the territorial scope of my mandate. uh, As I explained, I would firstly target defenders inside the Oris region. But of course, when it comes to companies, I would have the possibility to explore other means. But if you take uh, the fact that that companies based in Canada or in Australia or in the US are sometimes very dangerous for defenders and for communities, uh, because Canada. The U.S. or Australia is not uh, are not a party to the Convention. I can do nothing uh, with those countries. So the more information we provide, the more activists, uh, the, the the more lobbying we do uh, on those countries, uh, the more effective the mandate will be. Hopefully, we have in fact um, effective protection mechanisms uh, that work uh, pretty well, including mechanisms that have been established by uh, by communities themselves. I remember that uh, in uh, in Latin America. I saw very effective me- protection mechanism established by local communities, by indigenous uh, uh, communities. You have like uh, indigenous guards only armed with batons that are effective to protect their communities. Uh, in countries uh, where there is national mechanism, uh, sometimes you see that uh, uh, mechanisms are able to provide bulletproof uh, uh, proof jackets, uh, panic buttons, uh, armed vehicles, uh, bodyguards to defense. Uh, Sometimes also you see that national institutions are also very useful to protect defenders. Sometimes they are able to establish early warning mechanism that is to detect when an attack is about to occur against a community and to alert the police or security forces that they could come before the attacks would start. So you see in many countries different situations, but the most effective protection mechanism that I've seen are in Latin America, in Colombia, in Honduras, in, uh, in Mexico. Sometimes uh, states have decided to work with uh, special rapporteurs uh, to try and strengthen the mechanism, uh, to learn lessons from other mechanisms, to share experiences, uh, to make sure that those mechanisms would be more, more, more effective. But my the main lesson is that uh, you cannot do nothing uh, without first starting to discuss with communities they are the the one who know better than us what to do and what to do to protect them so no mechanism could work without the participation of indigenous people and local communities those who are the most at risk are those who are living in remote places uh, where there is no access to internet uh, and and for those communities uh, because they, because they don't they, they are not able to target uh, or to send me uh, information i can do nothing so the best would be for them to uh, to come closer to local uh, uh, NGOs uh, that could also uh, do the work for them. Uh, sometimes uh, I don't need to receive a complaint from the victim themselves, but from an NGO. That is, if an NGO is close to a community which is affected, then the NGO could fill the form for the community. And then I would investigate and start to discuss with the NGO to make sure that the community would give their consent uh, to, be, to be protected. Because again, without the consent, I can do nothing. So, in all occasions, we could find a way uh, to communicate with those who are affected and don't have an access to internet to uh, reach out to me. My last message would be, uh, would be simply to say that uh, you are not alone. Uh, you have allies, sometimes strong allies. Uh, we, uh, my, t- my team and myself, uh, would like to work with you to know you better. So the more you can also do to send me information on your activities, uh, the more we'll be able to protect you. So uh, don't be, um, uh, I mean, sometimes sometimes I know that uh, it's difficult for you to reach out to to the UN, but uh, through NGOs, through other communities, you can reach out to me and I will make my my best uh, to protect you.
0: For more information on indigenous rights, visit www.cs.org rights and also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads and Facebook.